Hi, welcome to OrthoEvidence. I have the pleasure uh, of uh, introducing a colleague, a friend, and uh, someone I know who can enlighten us about sort of the leadership issues facing another country. Let me introduce Sultan Al Naskari, who is the president of the Orthopedic Society of Oman and also head of orthopedics at one of their large institutions there. Uh, Sultan, welcome. It's nice to meet you again, Mohit, and it's nice to uh, join the OrthoEvidence community and share our experience in Oman. And uh, uh, I think it, it's, um, Oman is no different from uh, most countries that are living in the modern world with modern day travel and telecommunications and the impact um, of the goods uh, the, and the negative aspects of modern day travel of the rapid spread uh, of uh, COVID-19. Um, however, the situation with us is somewhat different from other uh, countries as uh, can be expected. I think every country has its own unique aspects. Um, the spread here has uh, largely been contained uh, fairly well from the beginning, but we have not peaked yet. Um, I think what happened is that on the arrival of the first few cases which came in uh, through travel, uh, the country immediately uh, and the government uh, put uh, the screening motion into action, uh, the screening uh, initiatives into action, and people were screened and quarantined uh, uh, either within their homes or institutional quarantines, and right. later on started testing. Um, also, voluntary uh, quarantine for people was recommended from the beginning, so we've had that for quite some time, but mandatory quarantine has been enforced for three weeks now. Only essential workers and only 30% of each establishment's essential workers are allowed to go to work. And unfortunately, uh, recently, uh, since last week, some hotspot areas were identified where community transmission of the disease started uh, overtaking the travel transmission. And those uh, areas were put fully in quarantine and uh, mass testing of certainly anybody who is symptomatic uh, has been introduced. Uh, on the positive side, of course, is that the government has also acted largely to reassure people because we, Oman has a large uh, non-Omani population, almost 50% or just under 50% of the population. Certainly in Muscat, 50% uh, of the population is non-Omani and they have been reassured that their treatment costs will be borne by the government. So that has helped in uh, assuring people to come forward and for screening and testing and treatment if necessary. Now, I was just going to ask you, like when you say the word, like so, like for example, India right now is entering into a full formal lockdown, which is near quarantine level, which is people are in their homes and they're very, basically, if they are out found for any, except for an extreme reason where they have to be out, uh, they're ticketed, fined, uh, and, and they're even suggesting jail time in some of these areas. So let me ask you this, on the scale of physical distancing measures, how do you rate what's happening in Oman? Is it more of a use judgment, stay home, physical distance, or is it much more a stronger enforcement of that staying home? Um, it's somewhere between the two. Most of it is actually stay home, uh, keep safe, keep distance. But also if a person 
is quarantined and they uh, violate that quarantine, then uh, there are laws that subject yeah. to that, that person to uh, prosecution, a fine, and even carries um, a prison sentence. Uh, also spreading false rumors because a lot of false rumors have taken hold, uh, unfortunately misinforming people and uh, sometimes frightening people. Uh, the government has taken um, action against that. But um, we are in lockdown, but not fully, uh, completely right. locked in your house yet. No, fair enough. Yeah. So how is this, I mean, you know, you are currently president of um, an orthopedic society. You're also head of, of, of Department of Orthopedics. Surely um, orthopedic care and orthopedic education has been dramatically changed. I mean, I, I imagine anywhere from shifting to canceling meetings, virtual conferences, but at the level of the hospital, um, what's happening? I mean, uh, how much have, have uh, things changed? And you know, under the understanding that it's likely that if you're in this moment, you're likely also facing uh, major, major restrictions in who's getting procedures and uh, who ultimately is going forward with emergent surgery. Can you give us a flavor of what's happening in the hospital system? Oh, um, absolutely. Our hospital is one of the larger hospitals in the country. And of course, it also has been assigned as a COVID-19 receiving hospital um, in uh, association with, our with other hospitals. So um, for now, uh, a month, uh, no elective surgeries have been allowed and only urgent uh, procedures where there is a clear uh, advantage of operative intervention uh, over uh, non-operative treatment. Uh, certainly any procedure that um, might require intensive care uh, unit admission uh, has to really be uh, justified and discussed with uh, other colleagues, the anesthetist and the infectious disease uh, team that's leading the, the campaign. Um, so in that regard, uh, we're no different from most uh, other systems where elective procedures have been um, uh, stopped. Uh, in terms of trauma, we're, we're, we're taking in traumas, but of course, uh, with the lockdown, uh, a lot of the uh, heavy trauma has stopped, uh, except for the odd case where somebody who is irresponsible goes and maybe um, crashes his motorbike or so, usually young people, but that's rare. Um, other uh, usual low energy trauma and so on is going on. Uh, what we have noticed is actually, and this is, I don't know, um, it has been replicated in other hospitals as well. Even domestic, traditionally domestic trauma of the low energy insufficiency fractures have gone down dramatically in uh, our experience. Hmm. Um, what's different between Oman and most of uh, Western Europe and Northern uh, American countries is that we don't rely heavily on nursing homes. So elderly people usually stay with the extended family. And we think probably might be the fact that they're uh, sons or daughters uh, are spending more time at home, probably taking more care of them, so that might have impacted that. Uh, that's an area that we have noticed and we're going to audit and gather data on. On that point, Sultan, let me just, let me just dig a little deeper, because you're right. I mean, the one thing that we have seen in other countries has been decrease in multiple trauma, simply because there's no one on the streets. But because yeah. there are still 
um, you know, nursing homes and, you know, and rehab centers for that fragile elderly population with osteoporosis, we are seeing continuing hip fractures. The difference has been hip fractures are coming in or, or insufficiency fractures are coming in, um, COVID positive, and that becomes the new challenge is how do you manage those people? But it seems to me you're saying quite the opposite in terms of a trend, which is actually a fascinating uh, point. In fact, in some way, this in itself is an experiment that if, um, you know, at home, if there is more potential surveillance, um, we can actually, I mean, that in itself can be a primary prevention factor across all the other medications that people are talking about. This itself is an interesting experiment that's happening. Uh, absolutely, and and you you've uh, put it there in better words than I could, which is um, sur surveillance at home. And um, the other thing that we notice, of course, and because of the extended family culture that we have in Oman and uh, many of the Eastern countries, I think, is the moment that the public media, mass media, um, reported that the elderly are the most vulnerable to this virus most uh, families actually cocooned their elderly. And uh, as a result, we have not admitted a single uh, patient, elderly or otherwise, that needed surgery who is COVID positive. So that's a different experience that wow. we have in Oman. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, um, a dramatic, have, that's a dramatic difference, yeah. Absolutely. We have COVID uh, patients in an isolated ward and separate ward. And we have, uh, I think they've admitted one or two patients in intensive care unit but they've all been discharged. So that's another thing that we're noticing that we don't have as high an admission rate in intensive care. Um, also the community rate, we don't have the exact data for the whole population because we have not tested everybody. Uh, but the overall incidence uh, of COVID-19 cases in Oman um, until today is 813 confirmed cases. And okay. the total population of Oman is about 4.5 million. So that's quite a low carry rate. And right. most of those cases, I'd say over 90% are in Muscat. So even if you put that within the perspective of the Muscat population, that probably comes down to less than one in 1,500 yeah. uh, cases of carrier cases of uh, COVID-19. But that's... Of course, we haven't tested the whole population. But th those two things that stand out is that the low, the reduction in the low energy insufficiency uh, trauma and the fact that uh, none of these patients is a COVID positive. So That's our results fascinating. are... Fascinating, yeah. And, and, and let me just take it one step further. So right now, um, even though there seems to be, a, seems to be relatively under control, I mean, if you look at other countries, you look at what's happening in mm. Spain, look what's happening in Italy, US particularly, yeah. and even in France right now. I mean, they are in a crisis mode and trying to very stage of crisis. You have suggested, I thought I, thought I heard that you had suggested that, that for at least the next several weeks, there'll be no elective practices in the hospitals. You're, you're, you're on this sort of triage of only the most urgent and emergent uh, cases yeah. come through. Do you have any guidance in, um, from, from, I mean, from whatever authorities that are going to be making these judgments in the hospital system or in the, in the, in the country around when you can feasibly see a return to elective procedures? I mean, is there a date? I mean, I can tell you that it's ranging on who we talk to. I'm curious if you've gotten any insight. And, uh, at the moment, no. We things are kept on um, 
an open-ended uh, situation because we don't think we have uh, crossed the peak of the curve yeah. yet. Um, right. The numbers are still uh, fluctuating, and actually, since we ha they identified those hot spots and they started mass testing, the numbers have increased. Uh, sure. But they are still under control. The uh, the maximum that was recorded on a daily basis was 128, but today it's much less than that. I think it was 88 or something like that. So our numbers are still manageable in many ways and but the fear of course is that the situation if it gets out of control then we might the the intensive care units might not be able to cope therefore uh, the government is taking really a preventive approach and the ministry of health um, yes. we have a committee to manage this uh, and then they, they, so, they are getting so right now i mean with us with relative assurity it seems to me you don't expect to be returning to any sort of of um, you know elective practice patterns that were typical prior to COVID for the next two months. So we're, you know, let's say April, May, June, July, or is it possible it'll it'll keep going? Uh, I'm just curious if, uh, if you have any sort of vision on this. I honestly yeah. don't have any sort of vision, but I think um, the expectation is that probably we will peak by the end of April. So okay. if you Give it at least two weeks. So I really don't see us going into elective uh, procedures before mid-May, June. Uh, and then, of course, Oman is a majority Muslim country. Then we have yes. Ramadan coming up in another 10 days' time. And usually during Ramadan, um, many people uh, do not wish to undergo elective procedures because there is a festival sure. at the end of it and so on. So they prefer to wait. So right. really, I think we're looking at June when we can start our elective yeah. work again. This is everything's so uh, dependent on what happens, I guess. So it's it's, it's well, a moving absolutely. target. No, no. The other thing that uh, certainly for us being a teaching institution, uh, education has been affected hugely, tremendously, and uh, the clinical aspect of uh, teaching has been affected. We have tried to compensate for that using. Uh, platforms and apps like GoToMeeting and Zoom and so on. Right. And that has worked uh, quite well uh, to a large extent. And, and that as well, we benefited from that experience in the sense that we could see the strength to uh, which one can utilize remote teaching. Uh, and it has been received very well with, by our students and certainly um, the arrangements that we have put in place um, which I think are no different from most other institutions around the world, seem to be working uh, to a certain extent. However, there always remains the fact that you need to have the trainee or the student in direct contact with the patient. And how are we going to resolve that? And when? God only knows. Yeah, and I think that is the big challenge. And it gets back to this whole point, right, which is, um, virtual care, I think, in many ways, has seen uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of percent fold increase in its popularity, largely because what we're doing right now, we likely wouldn't have done in other faces. I would have looked to either meet you or call you, but we're doing this, and we're realizing it is pretty facile to do. However, I don't think that um, you, as you know, president of the um, Orthopedic Society, would think that a virtual meeting would replace the value of a face-to-face -face meeting so on that note you know 
presuming that there's you know there's probably moved to a lot of these meetings what do you think we're missing out you know um, with with the virtual communication one of them i think you highlighted already which is it's hard to do virtual consultations in orthopedics where it might be easier in other primary care areas because physical exam is such a fundamental important part of the orthopedic consultation that it's very difficult to make decisions without that but in the education forum what do you think's missing like you know so there's a lot of popular the big virtual events every every association has moved to a big virtual event and i suspect you're probably thinking the same ccot as example we're both talking about the same what will be missing from that oh the, there's always the personal contact the the fact that you can sit down with your colleagues have a direct chat uh, without somebody else listening to it. Uh, maybe um, go yeah for instance when was the last time we met and yeah, right, I see yeah, you right. would like to go and have a drink uh, or yeah, a cup of coffee sure. or something like that. Right, that's it. Right. Just have that. I think that that's very, very important for meetings. I think that side is extremely important. Of course, there's also the face-to-face -face discussion without uh, feeling any restrictions uh, or inhibitions because you're on, uh, on, on an open platform and so on. Uh, that's for the educational meeting. So I think... Uh, while we could do a lot, I think the way I look at this uh, experience, like most people, I think there are negatives, huge negatives, of course, and the loss of life cannot be replaced. And right. uh, all that uh, we can say is that thoughts go to those people who have lost loved ones. However, there are lots of positive things that have come out of this experience in that it has shown us what we can do and the, resi the resilience of the human mind and people in, to cope with this adversity um, and that we can actually learn many lessons and maybe uh, save costs, save lives, save travel and so on, maybe utilizing a facility nearer the patient. Oman is quite a large country physically with a small population. Um, so while in the past, I expected my patients to travel maybe 200 kilometers or even more mm -hmm, to come mm -hmm. for a 15-minute cons consultation. Now it brought to me, what if I actually arrange with a colleague in a local health center or a clinic where the patient can go and I have a video consultation in the presence of another colleague? So looking at it from the patient's and their relative's perspective, I think... Uh, it, it, it opens up uh, huge possibilities and uh, lessons for us to, to move into the future. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, you are uh, looking at the world um, through many, many lenses, I'm sure. When you look back, um, and I, as I know many of the individuals I've, I've gotten to respect and um, you know, admire individuals like yourself, Take this, as a moment of, take this as a moment of reflection. So I'm sure you've reflected on what this means and what this means for the future. If you were to think about parting messages to the world about what this means for you um, on a personal level and also maybe on a broader level, if you've reflected to that point, which I suspect you have, what message are we supposed to get from this period in time? I, th I think there are a lot of messages and now actually with the elimination of the physical travel for work and so on, one has much more time to sit and reflect and read and think and so on. And uh, a lot of things that we have taken for, for, for granted. 
for instance, international rapid travel and mass travel. We've always taken it for granted that it's just simply a positive thing. We never thought about its impact on the environment. We never thought that an airplane can carry uh, vectors, viruses, and so on, and within a few hours of the first case being reported in wherever it is, as it happens this time, it's in Wuhan, in China, but it could be anywhere. And within less than 24 hours, that virus or germ could be in different continents around the world. Uh, also, uh, I think the impact on the environment is something that uh, this uh, uh, experience has highlighted that how um, quickly nature can recover and how much damage we have done. Um, I think uh, also uh, our own families within our professions that we can do a lot with minimal environmental costs, with minimal carbon footprint. And we need to think probably more about that. Um, in terms of education, probably uh, recording, keeping our, uh, documenting our uh, talks, our lectures, our uh, uh, cases and so on for people to access. Uh, I think also this has brought the goodwill from many uh, corners where organizations, companies that given the circumstances, we are giving you free access to your knowledge that in the past. And I, I think if we continue in that, uh, that's probably something that will be it's a positive thing that will come out of this experience. Uh, on the other hand, it has shown that how much ill-prepared with um, we we were on coping with something like a virus, and this has been highlighted, of course, in, initially by Bill Gates, and I think you've quoted him on that, and in your nice article recently, and you'd share that. And the real enemy is pollution is germs and so on. And we, we are spending a lot more money on weapons to kill each other instead of actually fighting uh, things that actually are a threat to all of us. And this virus has exposed the vulnerability, even the most powerful people, the most wealthy people, the most famous people in the, around the world, along with the poor ones. And uh, I think it's it has given us and our leaders more more than anyone else time uh, an opportunity to reflect on where to uh, prioritize uh, our resources. Well, I mean, when I look at this and I and I hear you speak, I think I reflect on so many insights that you have that I don't think often get the time of day because we're so caught up in the crisis and the misinformation and the info epidemic of misinformation. Um, that it's nice to actually have a moment of clarity with a colleague and a friend. And I can't thank you enough, uh, Sultan, for taking a little bit of time uh, and giving us some insights from Oman. Thank you so much. Uh, th thank you very much. And I actually thank uh, you as uh, Mohit Bandari and uh, Ortho Evidence for actually countering that misinformation by putting the evidence available for all of us to go through and I really uh, cannot thank you enough for all that hard work on your team. It has thank been you a so real much. pleasure. Thank you.